0: Special thanks to our new patrons, Amanda B and Michael J. Um, welcome everyone to The Golden Shadow. My name is Aaron Rogerson, and I'm here with Alyssa Polizzi. Today is our first event in the Dialectical Tarot series where we unpack the tarot from different points of view and explore the different lineages hoping to arrive at a greater understanding of the themes, symbolism, and history behind the cards. So today we're joined by Chris Gabriel of the Meme Analysis YouTube channel and Matt Johnson of Spy, uh, excuse Me Spear of Fire Tarot. And the four of us will be discussing the Fool tarot card. Alyssa, Chris, and Matt will each give us some opening thoughts about the Fool and its portrayal in the Rider-Waite uh, Thoth and Marseille decks respectively. And then we'll have an open discussion for about 30 minutes followed by Q and A. So uh, while we're talking, please throw any questions you have into the chat and we will call on you during the Q and A portion to unmute yourself and ask your question. This is going to be recorded and posted on YouTube and streaming services. So if you don't want to be on camera or have your voice captured, just communicate that in the chat when you uh, type in your question and we will read the question for you. Also, because we're recording this on YouTube, uh, we ask that you turn off your video for the discussion portion. And then once Q&A comes around, we'll have everyone uh, turn their videos back on if they would like to. Um, So please turn off your video now and we'll get started. Okay, so we'll go Alyssa and then Chris and then Matt. For a few minutes each, um, after which we'll just have a open popcorn style discussion. So, Alyssa, why don't you start us off with some opening thoughts on the major themes of the Fool tarot card and its portrayal portrayal in a uh, Rider Waite, um, and how you read with the full card in Rider Waite, etc., cetera, etc.
1: Yeah, thanks, Aaron. So, the Rider Waite Fool, um, I think. One of the first main themes that really come to mind and what is evoked in the imagery of that fool is this leap of faith, the kind of jumping into the unknown and the kind of mindset that's really required for an individual to begin this new journey, this sort of unfolding is to imitate and integrate the, the, the ideas, the themes, the personality and the mindset of the fool. Um, So when we think about that word, there's a sense of a lack of knowledge, there's a feeling of uh, the kind of uncertain path that's in front of an individual, and the recognition of there's a, a limited sense of consciousness around what you are exploring. To be foolish is to lack maybe a certain understanding or intelligence or awareness, but for us to begin again for us to be the fool we have to return back to that place of simplicity where we can embark on that kind of uh, hero's journey that's being presented to us without overthinking it without being a master yet and sort of returning back to this almost almost childlike state of innocence and curiosity and openness and to me, the Rider weight Fool um, evokes that feeling of that openness to experience and the foolishness of nearly walking off of the mountainside because he's not really looking where he's going, but you know, we don't exactly know what's going to happen for the fool next. Is he going to be caught, you know, in the hands of God? Is he going to fly? Is he going to tumble to his death? It's not really the purpose is to know what's coming next, but rather to embody this almost unconscious state so that we can move instinctually. Um, and the last thing I'll say about the or Wait fool is that I think he embodies that archetype of the trickster. There's a sense that he is unknown, unnumbered, unnamed. And that gives him that kind of mercurial nature so that he can move through the different uh, paths, the different doorways of the major arcana and uh, be present in all of them, sort of be the hero or the protagonist on this journey uh, without too much of a strong sense of grasping or identity because all of that is to come along the major arcana journey. Thanks. Chris you want to share some thoughts on the thought deck
2: sure so to continue with that, that that ability to be zero we'll start out with something really advanced and we'll then go to some the most simple thing so zero zero is the most amazing technology it's 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 silly to describe it that way sometimes when you think about technology you know think about machines and computers but cards are themselves a technology and the introduction of a unnumbered and essentially, you know, placeless card is extremely advanced. And what does that zero mean? Now here's the simple thing. So the fool is the creative, nothing, the creative flow of energy, and how can we illustrate that? What does, how, what, how are we supposed to know what zero means? You know, how are we supposed to know what the creative flow of energy is? And why is it silly? Why is he a fool? So here, a magic ritual. I want every single one watching. I want everyone to do this. It's this easy. So make your mouth an O. And then just put it against your skin. and <coughs> And you make the raspberry. That is the fool. That is the creative flow of energy
3: as a zero. That is the fool. All right,
1: Matt, got some thoughts for us?
4: First, I got to follow that up. Boy. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so the... um, one thing that's sort of interesting that we we talked about in um, the other versions of this is this zero, and um, that is an innovation because in the older Marseille decks there isn't even a zero. Um, so the fool has not just a not just a the, the marker of nothingness, um, there's a sort of unnumbered quality to it. Um, So that's one thing that's kind of interesting and different perhaps about the Marseille versus the others. Um, But I think of the fool and the archetype of the fool being very consistent uh, across the tarot, but there are these little nuances that come out. um, And I think of the fool you know, one thing I would say that can be a little different and maybe we'll expand on this in our discussion. Um, a lot of times the fool is sort of seen as the protagonist, uh, especially in the more Rider Waite traditions. Um, and yet that certainly can be uh, a flavor of what we see with the Marseille. But, um, I also, I also sometimes encounter the fool as sort of a guide um, to the rest of the tarot and a way of, um, of being uncomfortable or being comfortable with um, un- uncertainty, um, being, um, being willing to encounter it. He's got this sort of like uh, goofy <laughs> aspect to him that does not, um, whatever he's up to is not what society thinks he should be up to. And there's a sort of like weird rebellion to it. Um, But there's also a a strange confidence about how he approaches that uh, mixed with humility, so there's there's some there's some kind of contradiction there.
1: I think it'd be interesting for us to dive a little bit into the zero versus the unnumbered aspect of the fool. Um, As you can see, looking at the image on the screen, we have the Fool from the Rider Waite and the Thoth deck as a numbered arcana. But if we look at the classic decks of of Marseille and also the old Italian decks, um, you see that this character doesn't have a number. So as Matt mentioned, it is an innovation. And to me, it's not surprising that the golden dawn, which is where the uh, right away and thought the decks are sort of born from added the the zero onto the full card because that uh, the symbolism of numerology, I think is extremely important as one of those symbolic systems that they're working with and integrating into the tarot um, and innovating upon. And to me, the zero opens up a whole new archetype. You know, to me, it represents the cosmic egg. Um, you know, that contains all the primordial material that everything will be born from, or it's the Ouroboros, um, or it's the infinity. Uh, so, yeah, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts just on the zero, the unnumberedness.
2: So I'll I'll, I'll contribute to that. Um, you know, you can see around the the fool of the Thoth deck that he's got. Um, you know, he's got spiraling. Um, it's famous what Nietzsche says about time. Time is a flat circle. Um, but really, it's, it's, it's a circle and it's spiraling collapsed in and of itself, which again, this is, that sounds silly, but we can make it practical. Um, another look at like what zero is, is the Tao the energy itself, the, the creative nothing, as it is often called. Um, zero as the creative nothing, which, you know, in a way you can see in, in the Fool of Thoth, the bag that he's carrying, it's sheer, and he's holding um, the symbols of all the other cards. Just like um, the magician is playing with all the, the tools, all the weapons of the tarot, The fool is the thing that will lead to all the rest of the deck. Um, His creative nothing is what produces uh, all the subsequent things. So, zero as Tao, zero as creative nothing, I think is very important. You know, this is not a lack, it's not the lack of number that's important in zero here it is zero as that which is before. And just a quick thing that is related is that in the Yoruba tradition of Orishi, there's like, it's it's a numeral based system and it's like 400 numbers plus one that you're not thinking of. There's always plus one that you're not thinking of. And the fool is that. The fool is that which is beyond that which can be numbered, you know? The Tao is is really essentially nameless. It's an untranslatable thing. And the word Tao itself is not sufficient in understanding it, of course. So the fool has to represent all of this. And what I will give to both Ryder and Marseille is that they are far more simple. And simplicity is often more accurate at um explaining something like that in an ideal deck perhaps it would just be the, it would just
3: be zero
1: matt i'm curious um as a Marseille user, if you feel like the numberedness of the fool is something that you appreciate an innovation that's added onto it. Um, from other readers of Marseille, sometimes I, I feel that there's a tension from adding that number and sort of trying to put the fool into that context. Um, any thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, to me, I don't look at it as, um, I don't look at it as a as tension so much as um, it gives me more freedom to choose one way or the other. Um, I can look at it as a zero or I can look at it as unnumbered. Um, and I think that there's, to me, and this kind of just speaks to how I, I guess I think of tarot in general, I like the simplicity that Chris was talking about with um, with the Marseille, but that simplicity also allows you to be in communication with all of these traditions. So the the Golden Dawn uh, inspired meanings uh, are present as I interact with uh, the Marseille if I choose to to see them or to interact with them. Um, but then I'm also not limited to it, which I think is kind of like kind of what's great about the fool is it, it, he has this, this kind of like pure potential potential that's sort of like being uh, explored in, in different ways. So I, I, I guess that I don't have I don't know if that's a non answer uh, more that it's just I, um, I. I don't think that they there's a mutual. uh there's there's not a mutually exclusive way of interacting at least the way that i uh, the way that i work with it
1: yeah um, some other aspects on the fool card that is at least shared between all three is some sort of like animal that is interacting with the fool so you see on the rider weight it's the little white dog um, there's a couple of animals on the Thoth deck. You've got like the tiger biting him and there's a crocodile on the bottom. And the Marseille also has what I think is a dog. Um, any thoughts on the animal or do you guys bring that into your understanding of the Fool or the symbolism and how that speaks to the general archetype?
2: So um, as, I, as I described the Fool as the creative energy, who who better to invoke... Than William Blake, uh, energy is delight, and the tiger in Blake's cosmology is the creative entity. Um, the funny thing about all of it, though, is that in the fool, he is he's goading, he's goading the uh, the fool on and on. But they really are very similar. They really are doing the same thing. Um, is it not the fool goading us on? throughout the reading, throughout the deck. Um, just as the fool is being led, the fool is leading us, but energy is delight. And that
3: tiger is that creative energy as well. Uh, moving. Um, yeah, that's a wonderful, uh, I love that Chris. Um, the,
4: there's some, there's multiple ways of looking at how the animal, um, and most, in most cases, most people, I think, um, consider it to be a dog in the Marseille deck. Although I've heard, um, I think Kodorowski raises the possibility that it could be an ape, you know, but either way, it's something that has a sort of, um, human affinity in some way, whether it's similar or it's, um, can interact with us the way the dog does. Um, and I've seen different people sort of, look at how that this um, how this uh, character is interacting with the dog Uh, again that real kind of like block simplicity of the Marseille leaves a lot of um, a lot of room for uh, ambiguity in some ways like is the dog playing with him is he attacking him is he pushing him away is he um, welcoming him or is he sort of warning him away like you're not welcome here um and and i don't really i'm sort of agnostic about what what's actually happening in the picture um but i find that having those um nuances well i guess one of the things about if the fool is not if the dog is is showing that the fool is a stranger there it's kind of speaking to this sort of outsideness around it Um, one tarot historian kind of points out that the, the fool's garb, um, is of a class of these sort of troubadours, uh, that were popular in, you know, the Renaissance time that, that this imagery was sort of being put together, um, and the juggler, where we get the word juggler from, and they were these sort of like traveling entertainers, and, um, You know, even now in our culture, (laughs) there's something that we kind of look at as outside about those people who have that traveling, um, you know, there's that that carny kind of feel to it. Um, And the fool can sort of like represent. um, Well, and, you know, in the Judeo-Christian symbolism, it's the fool, you know, the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God and vice versa. Um, And there's an element of that, too, where, you know, the the things that the insights that the fool brings to us can seem like they come from the outside uh, in some way. And I think that um, interpreting the dog in that way, not that it's the only way to interpret it, but that adds something to um, how that archetype manifests. Yeah, I think
3: think
0: Sorry, Chris. Uh, yeah, I think staying agnostic about the uh, the imagery, the symbolism here is, is important. And uh, the the little animal in the in the cards, I think it's very interesting because the, the imagery of it already is like kind of like ridiculous. It's like the, the scene in the movie where some dog has latched on to like a guy's leg and it's just like shaking around and he's trying to get it off. It's like, there's always like, there's some foolishness there. Like, in, like and there's something about Mary when Ben Story gets bitten by the dog and he's like shaking it around. Like, it's already kind of ridiculous and wacky. So, that, that imagery is there. But I, I also kind of imagine that it's speaking to such an emptiness of the fool that he can be led around by this like little dog that he's just kind of like, nah, nah, nah. and like the dog would just be like, go that way. And he's like, okay, and I go this way. And the dog is like, Ugh. and then like, he just goes off a cliff. And so, that, that emptiness of the fool his openness to letting the little animal inside him guide him is kind of like what it's speaking to is like when, when we sort of like empty ourselves and we become foolish um, and we let sort of this more animalistic uh, repressed, almost like shadow side, maybe of kind of like the little boy inside guide me. That's when like, we can actually like uh, come into new insights. We can see things that we don't normally see if we stop uh, kind of acting like adults who are in control and instead sort of empty ourselves into like the little dog that kind of just like runs around barking. So the imagery there is, I see is, 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 is very interesting. And, uh, Chris, you had a point.
2: So just, uh, to what Matt was saying about, um, the, the appearance, uh, as a, as a troubadour, as a musician, um, back when, back when I was, uh, younger, I liked to spend time with crust punks, and crust punks, there's like a phrase, they have a, there's a phrase for them, oogles. And it is so common that they are with dogs. It is oogles and their doogles. Um, so like the very notion of the traveling musical fool and their dog, it is, an it, is, it is an archetype that is very, very real, very, very true. So, you know, I have, we have all hopefully met the fool and their dog at one point or another, um, but just that it is it is a very real thing.
1: It's just a quick point for me on the animal. I really see this as like an expression of instinctual um, aspects of psyche, similar to like dream images when we dream of animals or when we interpret animals in like fairy tales or myth um, it's that kind of counterpart to the uh, evolved human consciousness because we see animals sort of reflected in us in our bodily instincts, yet at the same time, we feel that sort of disconnect. Um, so, with me, especially reading the Rider Weight Deck, this really kind of gentle, A fun loving looking white puppy uh, which already is kind of bringing in this element of innocence and purity um, and this excitement of the of him kind of leaping up with the fool to me is like the the energy that's building in the unconscious instinct for the fool to really begin this path that's opening up and it's being reflected both in whatever spark of consciousness the fool has but also in the deep unconscious space. Uh, One thing I wanted to touch on, there's been a couple of questions on this in the chat, like from Chris, what is the shadow of the fool or um, how do we read the fool when it's reversed? Um, And this is a point I wanted to touch on when the fool is in more of a negative valence, um, if it's in a reversed position, if you read a reversal or we're looking at the shadow of the fool, uh, how do you interpret it, Um, especially in, in relation to the specific deck?
3: What
2: a uh, what an excellent question, and it 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 um, points at something that I wanted to discuss as well. Um, it's it's hard to explain, but the fool has no opposite. The fool has no shadow. The fool is his own shadow, um, and you can see it clearly. Um, you mentioned fairy tales. You you can see the fool's likeness to the story in. Many, many, many fairy tales where the child or the prince is cast out and made to wander until he returns. Um, But also what's clear in all of you also note one of the shared things is that everybody's in green. The fool is the green man. So the fool is both the hero who wanders into the woods and the monster. The green man, the horned man, as you can see in in the Thoth deck, he's horned. He is Pan. He is a satyr. So he is the monster that catches the hero in the woods, as well as the hero. He is already within. You know, one
3: has the has an opposite, two has an opposite, but zero is period. So. That that's
4: brings up a couple of things that I think um, kind of circle back a little bit. Um, one thing that that's different about having the 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 um, card be explicitly zero and have the the card being explicitly unnamed or Im- implicitly unnamed, I guess is, I would want to say that is that there is a in the Marseille deck there is sort of a another uh card that has some of the some kind of reverse qualities and that's the nameless arcana the the uh, the death card which has a number but no name um and i don't you know we don't have the powerpoint or whatever but i have the death card people aren't familiar with the imagery of it there is something that's kind of, actually there's a There's a certain of affinity um, for the the two images in the in the Marseille. They have kind of similar postures, um, and they're both holding this stick at the same kind of way, although what they're doing and how they're doing it is is a very different um idea. And you know, there's a lot of different ways that the the death card can be interpreted, um, obviously, but you know, there's also this, there's a, there's a a sense of transformation. um, And uh, there's also this kind of like pressure or um, force that sort of like interacts against life. And you could almost kind of look at the fool as, um, as like the life force that kind of contends with, you know, that creative um, thing that is trying to always flower and bloom. Um, But it kind of comes up against this opposite and in some in some cases there. So that which doesn't kind of like negate anything that that um any of these other readings, but I do think it it, it um adds like something slightly different to it. I think that's
0: that's some interesting points there. And what what it brings up for me is that the uh, the fool as zero or as like the the dog inside or like the animal inside Kind of has this feeling of like libido or life force, of kind of like the bubbling up animalistic nature that's coming from below. And then, like, there's like thanatos, which is like the death drive, which is kind of supposed, according to Freud, is like opposing libido, like life force versus death force. So I think it's kind of an interesting, uh, dichotomy there and as i pointed out in the chat is that like in the writer way the the fool card has a white rose he has a, a white rose in his hand and the death card has a flag that has a white rose on it so like there's like a connection there of like these opposing sort of life force of the fool his emptiness allows him to kind of embody this sort of libido this like eros this kind of uh, animalistic nature and the death card is sort of being like this imposing death drive i don't know it's it's interesting
2: um it strikes me it's very much like the seventh seal the relationship between the fools and death where it's the traveling musicians in the end who are able to escape death they're the only ones um and it it brings me to a fairy tale that i think it carries the same image um i don't know i don't know if you've all seen the seventh seal or uh, you might have seen this motif in old paintings, but there's a fool up on a tree and death is chopping it down. And like, you know, when the tree, when the tree is chopped down, the fool is going to die. But I think by, very, by the very nature of the fool, as you know, in cartoons, when somebody um, walks off a cliff and they just keep going because they're not aware that they have stepped off the cliff, They just keep going. And that is why in the seventh seal, the fools survive when everybody else dies. So it is is a balanced relationship because, you know, libido and thanatos are not actually opposed. They are the two elements in the spiral. Um, So it's not like death is not trying to kill the fool and the fool is not trying to put an end to death. And you can see the inversion in the the great fairy tale, The Soldier and Death, where the soldier, because he's not a fool, he's a soldier, he, he, he captures death in a bag and ends death. And people are desperate to die. And he himself is cursed to live forever because of that. And so he's a vagabond forever. So it's an interesting look at, you know, what happens when you, when you meddle with that spiraling uh unity of life and death.
1: Another connection between the full card and death. Um, and just for anyone like watching, um, here's like the writer weight that shows the emblem on the flag of death. I relate. The, the fool card to that archetype of the trickster, which at its core is a type of psychopomp. We can look at the kind of trickstery element of Hermes as an example, who is one of the only main figures to really move between the world of the gods and the world of man and into the underworld or to take individuals out or to ferry them through. And so the trickster similar to the fool has that, as I mentioned, mercurial nature that allows them to kind of, uh, Uh, move between worlds, so that he can't fear Hades, or he can't fear death, because his innate nature is that he's comprised of all of these parts, he can kind of shapeshift into what he needs to be. And that's what kind of guides you into deeper wisdom and deeper insight. And certainly towards transformation, you know, the fool is that beginning spark of the major arcana and it's through him that we're able to make it towards the end, towards, uh, towards that arrival at the world. Um, and it's that facing of death and many other challenges but also recognizing that we can move through those and uh, embody what needs to be embodied without grasping too tightly to a type of identity or structure that I think is so powerful. Um, One other thing just about the shadow of the fool is I basically always see this card as an extremely powerful and potent symbol when it comes out in a reading, but when it is reversed, there is a feeling sometimes I think that a a querent, or if you're reading for yourself, of like a resistance towards this. You know why isn't the archetype as accessible? Um, why might you be falling into foolish thoughts that maybe aren't actually uh, developing a, a type of transformation? Um, so I never really see the fool in a deeply negative valence. Um, I think other cards could push it in that direction, maybe showing that you might be in a state of a type of uh, Uh, illusionment that could be played up more with the fool as well but ultimately i see it as an extremely powerful card and maybe on the it's on the onus of the individual being read for when it's reversed of of why it's not being taken into their life and grounded as powerfully as it could be
4: that's uh that's a really wonderful um way of kind of like I often think of reversals well I should actually point out I don't really I don't often read uh, with reversals at least not intentionally Um, sometimes I just get shuffle crazy and it (laughs) happens but um, that's not kind of like a huge part of what I'm trying to do but there are other ways in which um, the the energy of the card may um, feel challenged or reversed or in a position that is in is, um, otherwise like has this like negative valence to it. Um, and one thing that, one thing like my fir- my thought kind of first goes to is what, what Alyssa was saying about that that feeling like that you can't access the energy. So that's one of the first things was when something is in that cart uh, or is in that position where it's, it's challenged. There can sometimes be uh, an indication that there's there's a lack of access, the flow is is restricted, that the, the faucet is not is only at a drip. Um, but I've also had a few instances where the fool will come up in a position where, based on the other cards and whatever else, um, there's also this sort of like aspect of it that um, can indicate. So, like, we're talking about all this, like, grand, high, mystical stuff in a way of, you know, being in touch with the most, you know, elemental parts of yourself and the libido and the life force. And um, yet, you know, we, we live in a very embodied <laughs> way. Um, and most of us are not monks. Most of us are not hermits. Um, and most of us live in the world. Um, and so there are sort of like responsibilities that we have, um, to the other people that we share this, this situation with. Um, and I have had a few times come up where there's an indication that either the querent or somebody in their life, something there's a, there's, there is a, um, sort of like shadow aspect of being so free (laughs) and so, uh, untethered um to everyone um and I, I think that when the fool is in a positive sense um you know you have that you have this wonderful freedom um to to be authentic and real um, but if that's not fully um if that's not integrated in a in a um in a useful way I think there can be a shadow side of being um a little too unattached and a little too too free and it's two things that i kind of want to say and i'll try to wrap it up there so i don't ramble too much um, a couple of people i think in the chat have mentioned the relationship of the joker to the fool um, and i think it is worth um kind of saying that there you know there is some there is a relationship just because of the history of playing cards uh, and the tarot being tied together and I, I do think that in our culture, um, you know, one of the most potent archetypical things in our culture really is the Batman mythos. Um, and the Joker does have that. Um, it's, it's more than just an advocation of, of responsibility. It's a, an actual active attack on it. Uh, it's it's an actual, uh, you know, an active attack on the idea of um duty and connection that that batman even whether he does when he doesn't do it necessarily in most healthy way that's his sort of like overarching goal and the joker is sort of like this intellectual foil of that of "No, no 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 you you know all these attachments and all these things that you think are all just an illusion and there's this sort of like nihilistic back and forth so i do think there is a relationship there
3: Uh, something that I'll, I'll, and I'll
2: tie it back to Batman, tie it back to the Joker. So, one of the things that is almost unique to the Joker's relationship with Batman many other villains like will get beaten and sometimes even die. Not, not forever, of course, but they can get beaten down and they'll stay down. The Joker is beaten down like consistently and does not stop, he is unstoppable um no matter how many times you beat him no matter how many times you like get him near death he does not stop um even when other people try to kill him like i think um the red hood um tries to kill him and he can't but there's something that nietzsche talks about yeah there's a frenchman i I believe his name mirable and he was known because he could not remember when people were bad to him he had no resentment because he just could not even remember when bad things were done to him and that is i think the fool you know he does not have that resentment he does not have that like he doesn't really care about what people are doing to him like he is in none of these is he bothered by the being bitten by the animal like so it is kind of an image of somebody who can go by life unbothered uh, at least in that context so But just like there's like that disease, I forget what it's called, but there's like a neurological disease where like a lack of pain and people die all the time because like they're unable to protect themselves because they are unbothered. They don't know when they've cut too deep and they're going to die from blood loss. Um, So like they have to be aware of any time they get a wound just to stay alive. So certainly there's there's a negative to being unbothered and untethered. But I think socially, it's a very beneficial thing it's a very good thing to not be resentful and um, spiteful. All right, we're gonna move to Q and A.
0: So if you haven't thrown your questions in the chat already, please do. Uh, So feel free to turn your video back on if you would like to, Um, you don't have to obviously. And, I'm going to call on you and feel free to unmute yourself when I call on you and read your question. So uh, first let's go with Cody.
5: Hey guys and ladies and everyone. Um, um, I think I just asked a question but I don't think it was really a question. I think it was kind of rhetorical. Um, I, th- I think the first question is kind of uh, to you Chris about since You work with the Toth deck, and when I did, I had Crowley's deck. I mean, his book, you know, that dense ass book of that deck. Um, yes, and you know, it's very chalema heavy, and um, and but it, it talks about zero equals two, and that's one thing that's always stuck with me. I, and I don't read that deck anymore, and, and and my interpretation of it is that, and I and I kind of wrote this in the in the in the uh in the in the chat, and I wonder if you can talk to it is that once you've named zero you have named an integer. You, you, you now have one integer that you have named. Thus, now you have named one, and then thus you have two. And so by saying zero equals two, you have created creation. You can't stop from that point. You have just, by naming something, it is now alive. And there is something here, I think that's very profound that is both mem- memes. Once created, alive. You know, like, um, and the, the fool in itself is like the ultimate one that now has to go through a journey. It is born. And so can you speak to that a little bit?
2: Sure. And what an, what an excellent point because zero equals two really is, uh, extremely important for grasping it. And so to get that, like, we have to go back to like, what was Crowley even talking about? He's talking about the Dow. And as I said early on, zero is the number of the Dow, um, so the Tao, as we know it, it is yin and yang. It is zero with the line through it. It is zero equals two, but already is the seed of four because there's the yang within yin and the yin within yang, and endlessly like a cell. Even my what is it? Mitosis, right? I don't know. We're magic. We 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 do magic here. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know biology, but I'm just kidding. But um, zero equals two as the Tao and as the essential splitting and um, what uh, what they call it? They call it fractals. That's the, the hip, the hip new word for what that split looks like. Because as they say, God is the circle whose circumference is everything and blah 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 so god as circle which is the common the original um depiction of the cross the cross is supposed to be balanced um and the solar god and so on the god disc um within that is everything which is why the zodiac is a circle the elements are circular um you'll often see all the tarot decks all the cards put into a circle um and so on. So zero equals two is the formula that creates all. As, as I said about the fool, where he is the seed that of all creation and of all the cards in the deck. So from that initial Dao, um, there are two dragons. They are yin and yang. The two dragons appear and they do exactly what you said. They set about naming and they create all the hexagrams in the I Ching so they take that original two and they make it sixty-four, and then there are the transformations of those lines and so on. So it does indeed; it is zero that splits and sets about creating an infinite splitting and dividing and creating.
3: Thank you. There's there's one. If can I do a little follow-up to kind of anything?
5: Um, because I, I think this relates very interestingly because there is a difference between zero. Um, of the two decks but then the marseille deck does something very different where it does not name zero and so by not naming zero um and i know Hodorowski kind of really talks a lot about um you know you look at like the eight of swords where it's like perfection is like like emptiness and so by not naming you actually you aren't create you are creating you actually get to sit in the absolute foolishness that is the dance around you you know, there is something very interesting in that and I think that the, the Marseille deck has speaks a different language in that way. And can you speak
4: to that a little bit?
5: Uh, any, anyone?
4: Yeah, um, I would like to pipe up there, um, Cody. That's a good point. Um, and that's one of the one of the works that has had the most effect on how I look at tarot. And well, how I look at more or less everything is um, meditations on the tarot. Um, by the uh, esotericist Valentin Tomberg. And one thing that is interesting about Tomberg's presentation of his series of meditations on these major arcana is that zero, or the the fool does not come first, and it doesn't even come last. And it comes in a very strange position in the work. It comes in 21, which is right before... Uh, Right, it comes in right before uh the world in his in his um medita- in his meditations and he starts with the magician um we're we're kind of used to like thinking of in in the other traditions and the golden dawn system you know starting with zero and then one comes after zero but he sort of like starts in this much more um less abstract and, and, and rhy- arithmetic Arithmetical way um where he starts with one you know the way we kind of typically start things um but then it's also interesting that he doesn't throw the fool in at the end he still finishes with the world um but he comes in with the fool um as sort of like a return so it's it, it again it, it it's it's almost like it exists outside of the realm of of number at all uh and then it it, it comes in at this particular time and, and there's i won't get into all the like the esoteric symbolism around it and the, all the those things and the hebrew letters and all that but it's interesting if you <laughs> look into it but um i think where it does matter is that there is the um, a sense in his discussion of the fool uh, as um sort of like a, re- a return to a kind of innocence um that is sort of like voluntary um of a person who has integrated the intellect and an abstract understanding of things, but now has like returned to a more, um, foolish, you know, emptied, um, emptied position right as they are about to receive the culmination of it in the world.
5: That, that seems very Buddhist in a way that's like, you actually have to go through the path. And then right before liberation, the world, you actually realize that everything is empty. And so then the the emptiness shows up at the very end. You can't start that way. You actually have to walk the path. Um, Thanks everyone. That was really awesome.
1: Thanks Cody. Uh, David, you had a question. Do you want to unmute yourself?
3: Yes, first of all, hello everyone. I have just one simple question because when Meme Analysis was something you bought Minimalism, when I, and everyone was talking about the animal that's pursuing the fool. It reminded me of a deck I got once called um, the Intuitive Tarot, which sort of strips
2: the fool of pretty much everything except the fool himself, and he's just sort of waiting at the edge of the cliffs, sort or of like inviting the the viewer. And it got me thinking: What, what do you think of this interpretation? Is, is this would be first of all would this be a step in the right direction for minimalizing the this card, and what do you think is this placing us as another fool? Is this placing us in the in the place of the animal?
3: Does this mean anything? What do you think?
2: The one thing it it looks to me almost exactly like uh, Diogenes, the cynic. Um, if you do, you mind if you show the card again? I just wanted to. Um... Yeah. So. You know Diogenes famously lived in a barrel he lived in a barrel and you it's, it's the sun right it's the sun that's in that card and Diogenes the one thing he loved he's you know Alexander the Great is like talking to him and he's like you know I'll give you anything you want he says get out of my sunlight so the image of the man hunched in that zero and looking at the sun strikes me as Diogenes who was an example of this living uh, fool archetype.
1: That's a great point, Chris. Um, I love that invitation sense and the simplicity or that kind of Diogenes archetype, which is in some ways like a renunciation of all of these pleasures or of power and coming back to this simplistic form that I think is embodied in the archetype of the fool, when we're being invited to step into that archetype, to me, it is a conscious choice to, in many ways, release ourselves from everything that has defined, you know, who you are, your identity, the path that you've been walking. You need that kind of courage and faith to release and let go so that you can actually kind of embark on something new um especially one uh, a path that's kind of uh leading you towards a greater spiritual transformation um so if that card you know is bringing that sense of invitation in a very simplistic manner i think that that is a a really great development in and portrayal, um, because I think the fool is an invitation at its core. It's the question of, will you take the leap into the unknown, or will you stay in the known
3: world? If I may just add one more tiny thing, cynic means dog,
2: and Diogenes would bite people like a dog. So there you have, it. you know, he is the dog of the tarot that was all.
3: And wasn't he also known to always be accompanied by stray dogs? I think I heard this somewhere. OK, uh,
0: let's go to, um, excuse me if I'm mispronouncing this, but uh, Ewan, in Man, you had a question?
1: I think they wanted us to read it for him, actually. Did they? Did I miss that? Yeah. Um... Okay, I'll read it.
0: Sorry. Uh, Okay. The question is, do you see destruction as the cause of coming into being as relating to the fool and to the white rose um, you talked about with
3: death?
1: I'll take a stab at this first. I think that the process of creation often comes out of destruction. It's like series of disintegrations of allowing frameworks to crumble, a sense of a type of death um, that allows this new beginning to really take hold, which is obviously very much encompassed in a lot of other themes of the major arcana. Um, But to me, the Fool being this initial uh, strike of of potential for the major arcana says that something has kind of closed out and completed. And that destruction can be something that's extremely violent. It could be a type of closure that's come naturally, but there's an implication of endings when a new beginning is happening or a new chapter is starting. So this element of death of the cycles of the the beginnings that come ultimately are very much linked to that sense of loss or closure or destruction, um, so I see them as very uh, inextricably linked
2: what what Nietzsche describes um, and what I mentioned briefly is uh, the monster of energy that he says, you know do you want to look at my world? Imagine a monster of energy, and it 's a ring it 's a zero where there is no, you know, as we know, we now know with thermodynamics, no energy is ever created or destroyed. It's just constantly transforming. So, you know, every death is birth. There is no birth without death and no death without birth because there's,
3: there's only that finite amount of energy in the world. Um, this just makes me think of something uh, I heard the other day that
1: I, I
4: just loved um It was from uh John Michael greer some people might be familiar with the somewhat famous writer and esotericist um said that you know the 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 food chain is actually a wonderful uh a wonderfully um can remember the word egalitarian system i think because everything gets to eat many many times and only has to worry about being eaten once <laughs> and so <laughs> there is this kind of idea that you know it, it, this pressure is 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 what allows um the variety and um, wonder of life to happen um and it, there there is no way that it can be generated without those forces being intentional.
0: Okay. Um, we received a, ch- a question in, uh, this email, um, that I want to read. Um, this is from Steven. And the question is, uh, one of the first distinct characters that people frequently report encountering whilst under the influence of the psychedelic drug DMT is a gesture slash Harlequin slash style entity. Could this be interpreted archetypally? And if so, could there be a symbolical link with the full card of the tarot?
1: Okay, I'm going to jump in. Um, I think that any sort of vision and imagery that comes forward in these altered states can absolutely be viewed symbolically and archetypally, because to me, Drugs seem to tap you into the flood of the unconscious realm, and that's where we tap into the archetypes, into the collective unconscious, and we start to see these exaggerated forms that hold archetypal power. Um, and what I'll say about this kind of jestery, trickstery character, uh, I'm just going to link that back to when I was talking about the archetype of the trickster as the psychopomp. It's very interesting to me um, that maybe the first thing that someone sees is the individual that can guide you into the unconscious, uh, the, the figure that we often see in fairy tale and myth as, the, as both the, uh, the bringer of these shifts and changes, but also the guide towards the underworld so I think that that element of the fool being able to guide you through these different layers of experiences and layers of consciousness may be archetypally constellated when someone is doing a drug like DMT because you are entering the, the wheelhouse of the, of the unconscious space and you do need a guide, hopefully, that can take you through this process.
2: I agree, but I will say. We, we, we evoke, we evoke the Beatles choking smokers. Don't you think the Joker laughs at you? I think it's a big mistake to assume that every time we meet the fool or meet a trickster, especially within a drug space or a dream that they're going to be helping. I mean, helping you is, is big helping. You can be like stabbing you, you know, helping you can be chopping off a limb to prevent an infection. Um, It's very important to not assume positivity, especially in drug trips. And this is what I find. This is like what I find really, really, really suspicious about people who uphold like DMT as the ultimate spiritual experience and drugs as the the cure for needing to work at all on spirituality is like, you could be actively misled. Um, You may very well be being actively misled, so it's important, there is the shadow of the fool. Um, you know, you are the fool in that context, being blindly led on. So uh, I just think it's important to be suspicious about um, putting faith into drugs, especially um, expecting, like Jung himself says, like most people who, uh, like I think peyote and mescaline, like if you take it and you have an archetypal experience, it's most likely that you're not even prepared For what you're going to experience, you won't be able to integrate it, it will mean nothing at the time. So that's that.
1: Yeah, Chris, I totally agree with you. And I, to this point, we have to recognize that when we deal with archetypal dynamics and energies, that they are not wholly good, or wholly negative, they are ambiguous, they are ambivalent. And they can swing between this access of empowering and transforming and also destruction. So when you open yourself up to these incredibly life altering, powerful experiences, you know, which way is that going to go? You know, is is the trickster psychopomp going to guide you towards this kind of heaven like experience or is he going to take you into the depths of hell? And I think. Just the sheer amount of like bad trips, quote unquote, that people have is an indication that when you begin to play with this archetypal power, you may get burned and we have to use it very wisely.
0: Just like a quick, quick comment that I think is an interesting thing. Interesting insight is that like, I have like a serious sort of trickster archetype in me. And when I'm sober like this, like it usually involves trying to kind of bring people into like a liminal place or kind of, um, kind of move things and shake things up to kind of bring people insights. But when I get drunk, uh, it goes into shadow and I just start wanting to like raise hell. Like I'll just start fucking with people in this way where it's like gone off the edge. And now I'm just like going around pranking everyone and like, knocking shit over and I, I find that to be like fun but it's like it's almost like the trickster has fallen into shadow so I think it's an interesting idea to like the fool could be he shakes things up and kind of brings you into like insight but he could also just be there to like burn the house down
2: so anyways I think that is that's why I think the Thoth tarot shows it best it's pan um And Pan and Satyrs in general are like, they can, they'll help people. They'll, you know, like um, I think, you know, the story of Midas helping out Silenus and, you know, he's done all this good stuff for Silenus and he's like, Oh, you know, can you, you know, he's like, Oh, I'm going to give you whatever you want. And it's like, tell me what's best. And he's just like, you know, you should die. You should be dead right now. That's what's best for you. You know, the fool is not going to lie, the, or rather the fool can only tell truths that are harmful in a moment or that will set you off, which is often what, like, um, you know, who is a foolish psychoanalyst was Jacques Lacan. He would have like two minute sessions where he would just fuck with you. Aaron, that's what you should integrate Lacanian and Jungian psychoanalysis and just have one minute sessions where you insult people and that will set them on the path. Yeah, I've already been practicing this most of my life. So I think,
0: yeah. All right. I think we're gonna close things up. So um how about closing thoughts from our guests about the full card
3: and maybe try to keep it, you know, one or two minutes max. Uh I think I'm very I'm very happy that you brought up your card and in the intuitive tarot,
2: David. Um and it, because it strikes me as my, with what my experience with the Oogles and their Dougles, I would say, I have two very good friends who are the fool archetype to me. And I am like always learning something just by seeing them be foolish and wild. Find the fool in your life. Find those who can embody this and learn something from it. Um, that will teach you more about the tarot um, than any number of readings where you don't fully live it and know it. So that's what I would
3: say. I had a wonderful time. Thank you for having me on.
4: Yeah, this has been really, this has been really um, enjoyable to to speak with everybody and get everyone's thoughts and flavors. Um, yeah, I would say include like, To me, the tarot is a lot of different things. It's a, you know, can be a divination tool. It can be a meditation tool. It can be a, um, can be a lot of different things. But one of the things that I think it really excels at, and has been for me, is it is a way in to something deeper. So it's it has this sort of initiatory quality to it. And what I think it the fool specifically kind of invites us to take a sort of playful um approach to things. But what we are kind of as Alyssa said, we're we're encountering archetypical forces when we do it. But there's something that's what, I, what resonates to me about the practice in general is that we are doing this voluntarily. We're kind of like trying to get, um, trying to interact with these, these archetypical uh, forces or these you know supernatural, depending on how your metaphysics are. Um, and the w- thing I see is that those things are gonna be interacting with us no matter what. So we can either be a pawn of them or we can start to be sort of conscious. Uh, about how we how we do it and i think the fool um meditating on him being guided by him interacting with him believing him and knowing when not to believe him is all good practice of how we how we can kind of engage with this this larger world that is going to engage with us one way or the other um but you know it's better to be um i think and I think it's better to be conscious about how we do it, rather than just have it be something that happens to us. So thank you, thank you everybody for for coming, and thank you for having me.
3: Alyssa uh, and Art.
1: Thanks to everyone who joined, and to the panelists today. Um, yeah, the fool is one of the most compelling cards of the tarot, and I think that's saying something because they're all extremely complex, and you could spend years and years really uh, learning their secrets and and having deeper and deeper revelations. But to me, it all all starts with a fool. And I think that's what I really love about the implication of the Rider Waite deck is that he's present in every card as zero, he's unnumbered and yet still um, implied in this sort of linear and um, non-linear development. And to embrace the Fool is something that we can do at any moment in our life um, in ways that are grounded and completely ungrounded through spiritual practice or uh, impractical life. And the invitation that the Fool offers us, I think, is one in which we can really develop ourselves in all of these dynamic ways. Um, so to me, he is one of the most powerful cards of the deck. And I hope that what we shared today offered some dynamic insights and considerations. And thanks, everybody.
0: Okay, so uh, thanks to our guests, Matt and Chris. You can find their work at these links that I will post in the chat. Chris is of Meme Analysis on YouTube. Uh, Matt runs a tarot practice called Spirit of Fire Tarot. You can click all those links to find them. we have more upcoming events at the Golden Shadow. I'm going to post those in the chat as well. Uh, we have a tarot workshop coming up called Cards of the Shadow. That's going to be on Saturday, April 24th at 12 p.m. Uh, Kayleen Asbo is coming to speak about the heroine's path. Uh, Anderson Todd will talk to us about alchemy and the Philosopher's Stone. And we have another workshop on myth with Vasilisa the Wise coming up in May. So go to goldenshadow.org, check out these events, and we hope to see you next time. So thanks, everyone. If you find this podcast useful, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash golden shadow org.
1: If you'd like to keep up to date with our projects, attend one of our live events, or work one-on-one with myself or Aaron, head to www.goldenshadow.org.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: See you later.